the Light Gray Art Lab podcast. I'm Lindsay Knoll. I'm Jenny Bookler. And we have a special guest today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Pajal Van Gay, uh, PJ for short. I'm actually a student, a PhD student at the University of Minnesota. And I think that's basically it. That's awesome. We have PJ here to talk to us a little bit about our favorite theme of this month. <laughs> Guts. Yep. So, <laughs> so as you know, we only have, what, a couple days left yep. of the Guts exhibition. Um, I'll let Jenny tell you a little bit about it if you haven't seen it. Sure. So the Guts exhibition is up through this Friday, the 15th. Um, you guys should check it out online or stop into the gallery and see all the great pieces. Uh, the show is all about the insides of things. So the hidden things that are beneath the surface that you would never guess would be on the inside. So artists have taken all sort of different approaches um, between like the actual bones and structures that are on the inside to emotions and feelings. Um, So the pieces are really interesting and concept heavy. So you can sort of take a look at them and also take a look at the featured artist work, Lana Crooks, who has an amazing collection of handmade and wool and felt bones. So take a look there. It's on the website and on the shop through this Friday. And if you get a chance to come and see that, if you're floating around the internet and you happen to take notice of some of the other things that we have going on, we also have a workshop with only a couple spots left. Um, Artist Tegan White is joining us this July 3rd through July 5th for an awesome adventure here in Minnesota where we're going to be going to um, Lake Maria State Park, drawing, boating, grilling, looking at fireworks (laughs) and doing much, much art. And so it'll be really fun to have her along. Again, only a couple spots left. If you want to find information about what that's going to be like and what Tegan has to offer, uh, that'll be on shop.lightgrayartlab.com. So anything else coming up? Yes. So on the 22nd, we have the opening reception for the Iceland Residency Exhibition. Uh, This show features uh, the work by 14 artists from around the world that participated in this last year's Iceland Residency. Each person's collection features landscapes, really beautiful drawings, handmade books, and felted objects. All things are inspired by the experiences and thoughts during and after the residency. Um, So you can see all the brand new work. It'll be released on the 22nd, along with a lecture by Sam Bosma. So if you get here right at seven, he'll be giving an artist talk on his work and practice. And then afterwards we'll have the reception and meet and greet. So you guys should definitely mark your calendars for that one. Yep. And if you need any reminders, we've got that on our Facebook page and you can go and see all the details over there. So to start off our conversation today, I have some questions for you, PJ. So, okay. So for somebody that doesn't know a lot about what you do, can you tell us kind of the the gist of what your research is like? What you're what you're kind of going through and the things that you discover as a person of science? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, perhaps I should just give you a quick overview or a layman's view of what I do first, That's and then maybe great. we could tackle that second yeah. question. Um, so I study the community of microbes in your gut and. Not to be confused with your stomach, the gut is actually everything that comes after the stomach. So uh, starting with the small intestine, large intestine, mostly in the colon, that's where the uh, most number of microbes live. And um, there's actually, it's very interesting because we have more microbes in our bodies than we do have human cells. So, oh, really? Yeah. So there's a lot of microbes on us, <laughs> within s- us and on our skin and everything like that. Yep. So a microbe is... 
Um, it could be bacteria. Okay. It could be virus. It could be fungi. Um, so just like a all, whole community. In yeah, there? just you could imagine it as things you can't see, little microscopic things. Awesome, living things you can't see. That's great. So, so more microbes than cells. Yeah, hundred times more. That's insane. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Also kind of terrifying. Yeah. So, okay. So when you think of microbes and you think of like viruses and bacteria and things like that, I think a lot of people think of instantly scary things like, you know, a virus kind of sounds like a scary thing in Mm -hmm. most cases. So, um, when you're dealing with this and you're kind of researching like those specific microbes, is there a way that we should be thinking about it that's not so scary or is it or is it actually scary stuff no actually the community of microbes is very beneficial because it's sort of like a symbiosis a symbiotic relationship that we have Um, we evolved with them as humans and so they're very unique to us to our stomachs our guts um, and um, they actually do a lot of really great things for example help you break down different fibers that you we can't break down they have certain enzymes that can break down you know plant fibers and humans can't do that on their own um and then there are of course some scary things for example infectious diseases those things you know pathogens bacterial uh, pathogens are actually going to be bad but in terms of the community of microbes they're good because we need them in our guts Uh, we need them on our skin um, because they protect us from the bad guys. So, for example, if you, uh, I don't know if you've heard of uh, Clostridium difficile. Nope. It's, okay, no. it's fine. It's, it's just, uh, it's a very common um, emerging hospital infection that a lot of people get from, um, from staying in the hospital for too long. And it creates, you know, lots of diarrhea. People can't move because uh, they're going to the bathroom every 10 minutes it's, it's horrible oh really yeah and what it, what's the cause of that um so it's actually a bacteria yeah uh, a spore forming bacteria which means that it's very durable when it's not inside of your body it could survive for you know forever yeah and then um if you ingest that if you have no microbes then it can actually grow in there and proliferate Whoa. and cause disease but if you have a very diverse community of microbes in your gut um, they actually help fight off that bad guy. If huh. That's like the simplest way of explaining it. <laughs> so I've heard, and, and this is one of the questions that I was actually dying to ask you. So I don't remember, and I really wish I remembered where the first time that I heard this, um, but there have been a lot of articles on like fecal transplants and how that is. Do you have you heard of this, Jenny? No, I haven't. I don't okay. know where this is going. Then, <laughs> <laughs> it's going in a good direction. But um, so I have heard that people there, and I don't remember who it was, so maybe you know because this is probably in an area that you have heard of and probably deal with maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there are people that don't have like a really good system. They don't have a lot of microbes either through chemotherapy or something yeah. or some like serious situation where they are just eliminated and so they need to like refill their guts with these microbes and people have found a simple way of doing it by actually like transplanting some of those from somebody else so the articles i've read don't go into a lot of depth Uh okay is that real is that (laughs) is that important is that something that you guys deal with over there do you hear about this is it is it controversial like what is the deal with that 
Yeah, you know? yeah, I could talk a lot about that. Yeah. So it's very interesting that you bring that up because um, there's a clinician and a researcher here at the U of M. Yeah. Um, Alex Kratz and Mike Sadowski. They are the leading pioneers of fecal microbiome transplant. So they're the first ones to do it, to do it in a clinical setting. Um, they actually did that for, for Clostridium difficile patients because that's the only way of, you know, curing it really. Um, the reason why their gut microbiotas are bad is because a lot of these patients have, for whatever reason, um, if they had to go into the hospital for, you know, to see, to see your doctor for something else, they end up taking some antibiotics, some very broad spectrum antibiotics that deplete the diversity of the community. And so that allows the C. diff to actually grow. Um, the problem with that is that it's really, really hard for their community to replenish itself. And so they came up with this solution, which is actually not a, a new thing. It, when you look in the uh, some of the old articles and just in history, um, I think it was the Chinese that did it hundreds of years ago. But they actually did it, uh, Mike calls it the, the northern route, where they would actually ingest the Oh, that sounds poop. maybe worse <laughs> than the other one. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, but here at the university, they, they do it with, um, they'll take a healthy donor, which mm-hmm. is very vigorously screened a person who's super healthy and they, they'll look for parasites and all sorts of things in their, um, pretty much their fecal samples. Mm-hmm. And then they'll take that. And originally they started off by just taking that, blending it up, putting it like through a colonoscopy, mm-hmm. um, procedure. They would just put it into the, uh, unhealthy patient, but now they're actually trying to get, um, a more standardized procedure where it's kind of a capsule. And so perhaps you could just take that instead. And they're really? still testing that out. Mm-hmm. So would that survive like, like through the majority of your digestive like process? Like would mm-hmm. it, it would survive in your stomach. It would survive in your small intestine. It would, yep. it wouldn't just get yeah, destroyed. I, like <laughs> Right. No, it's, um, I think it's the coating of the capsule that huh. they're, they're designed so to like release it. at certain times. Yeah, Jeez. but then it's, um, I believe it's freeze-dried product too, so. Yeah. Yeah, or just frozen, I'm sorry, not freeze-dried. And so is there a specific part of your colon, small intestine, like large intestine, like, you know, obviously I did not spend a lot of time in anatomy class in my head. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> like, which, I mean, is it just like your entire, like, lower half that is where, like, this, like, um, kind of community of, of like microbes exist or is it just kind of everywhere? Yeah. So there, you actually have microbes in your stomach as well. They're, um, microbes that could, of course, you know, sustain very acidic situations. Mm -hmm. Um, but then there's not so many in there. They start in the small intestine, but the gradient changes if you you go along. Really? Um, yeah, your GI tract and because it actually gets less acidic as you go away from your stomach. So it allows for more microbes to grow. So actually in the colon is where we see the most microbes, number of microbes and the most diversity. So that's where we typically focus on when we're we're doing our studies. And Mm then um, fecal samples are usually pretty similar to what's in the colon, too. That's so interesting. I I was watching a, um, it's kind of a documentary, sort of like a reenactment type thing. It's called Filthy Cities last Mm -hmm. night. And I have no idea how this happened. (laughs) But it was um, really interesting because they were talking about how people were just unaware of all of the things that that are kind of within us you know and it was back when people weren't really thinking about hygiene in certain ways or they didn't really understand how much was there or things like that Mm -hmm. but they were discussing just um sort of like 
when you were talking about the viruses, like certain bacteria, like everything else that's in there, when you are actually like studying the different kinds of like, I don't even know what to call them, cultures? Uh, microbes. 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 Yeah. You know, like when you're studying the different microbes, um, are you looking for a certain kind of like ratio of good to bad? Like, does it depend on where we live or what we eat or like what, like who we are, what we do? And you know, like how does that, how do you even classify like who's got a good set of microbes or like how dangerous that is, you know, cause you were talking about some of these are, some people have lots and lots of like not so good stuff. Yeah. That's, yeah, that is the ultimate question that we're trying to answer is really, how do you define what is healthy or what is good? Yeah. And, um, you know, this is a relatively new field, um, at least in the life sciences. It's just, I don't know. I want to say it's, I don't want to quote, Never mind. I'm not going to quote myself. It's relatively new. And, um, so it's sort of, some people say it's sort of like the wild west because, you know, <laughs> anything goes, cause we're, there's so many new things that nobody knows what, what the proper methods are. We're still ironing that out, um, trying to standardize a lot of those things. And the, everything up to this point has, has actually only been looking at the bacteria. Oh yeah. And we're just starting to look at the fungi and the viruses. So when I say viruses, there are also viruses that are specific to only, um, Bacteria, so they're like viruses that attack bacteria. Oh, funny! Oh, okay. That keep them in, um, you know, intact. Like and, balance. That's yeah, cool. to balance them. Um, so they're not pathogenic to humans. They're just there to kind of. They're called phages, but. And so cool. yeah. when sorry, Jenny, go ahead. It's okay. I was going to ask you, and maybe this will derail your question, but we'll see. That's okay. Um, I'll, I'll I was going to ask you about. Um, so I know that you've been studying like the history of how things have been going and how things have been changing over time. Um, I was reading an article about people having worms and how we like for a long time had coexisted with worms in our body and Mm -hmm. how we sort of adapted to those um, in our intestines. And so now that we don't have them, we're like too clean. Do you have any opinions about how we've changed or if we're doing like the bad thing, trying to cleanse our guts instead of like uh, like learning and moving with the things that are in there. Right, right. And I, I feel like I'm not addressing all the questions because you had a question and I went off on a tangent. No, it's good. It's anyway, good. It's okay. um, yeah, so that's exactly our hypothesis, actually. So oh, okay. um, there's a paper coming out next Wednesday that I wrote, and this actually is focused on uh, the role of antibiotics and how mm-hmm. that affects children and, you know, how much... Um, how too many courses of antibiotics early in life affects their susceptibility to disease later. Mm -hmm. And so this is sort of, we call it the hygiene hypothesis, where when you're not exposed to, you know, enough microbes in the community, you actually develop um, immunological defects, and then you're more susceptible to developing allergy, asthma, because we do see increasing rates of that, at least in the Western countries. Yeah. Um, So that's very very true, like what you're saying there. Um, Interestingly, there's been a lot of studies that have looked at indigenous populations, for example, in the Amazon, um, in parts of Africa, where they'll compare uh, American guts with um, guts of those populations. And those populations are much more diverse. They have species that we don't have at all. Um, And so that just tells us that, you know, we might be doing something wrong over here. Yeah, well, it's amazing how, I mean, you were talking about the viruses and bacteria balancing each other out and everything sort of working in this really clean system where it works together and everyone has like like checks and balances Mm -hmm. everyone has somebody that's making sure you're on the right track and when I say 
people I'm talking about like <laughs> micros <laughs> so everyone's in checks and balances <laughs> and making sure that everyone is um like at the right level that they should be but in any time we're introducing these new things like antibiotics or different diets or cleansing anything it's like affecting those levels and I know it's super interesting to think about like how those things have changed over time some of my other like more bizarre questions have to do with like how your body adapts to those things. I have that, a bizarre question yeah. that is about adaptation. Okay. And is this real or not? Okay. <laughs> so three or four years ago, I stopped eating meat. How does a change like that affect someone's like situation? Is that even a thing that does anything to your insides? Like what you consume must provide some like differences between what's like happening in your guts like what's not happening in your guts yeah. like how might something like that change yeah so this is what I had missed earlier when you're asking me about changes and oh, how, yeah. how it happens um so the composition of your gut microbiota is is largely determined by your diet um we do see differences between genders ethnicities um you know just genetic differences, you know, very specific genetic differences, but they're, they're smaller, um, but largely driven by genetic, and I'm sorry, largely driven by diet. And so there has been a lot of interventions, like diet intervention studies where they'll switch people between like high fat to low fat or, um, plant-based, animal-based, and they, you see these huge shifts. Really? Um, mm -hmm. and it's because, there's certain bacteria that like to degrade plant material and certain bacteria that can degrade animal material. So if you're depriving, um, so for example, if you were eating meat and then you, you switch to plant-based only, mm -hmm. you deprive your microbiota of meat. So they're not going to, the guys who like to eat meat are not going to be able to grow. Are they going to transition? Is it is just the quantity of a certain kind going to flourish and the other part's just going to kind of peter out? And yeah. Is yeah. that why some people might um, complain of after they haven't eaten meat for a very long time and they have a hamburger once randomly they're like oh my god this is not going well and it's just like a like a hard thing to digest or to experience that that could be very true I don't know if anyone's done that that's actually a very interesting thing we've thought about doing that just to see how how does your body recover if you haven't been exposed to a certain food for a really long time yeah I was just um, curious yeah you know, I've heard people say things like that they're mm -hmm. like "Ooh, that's not working out so well and you're just like you know, I mean, that's very anecdotal, like, yeah, you know, it could be mental, it could not be mental, it could be seriously like a, sure. like a physical experience that somebody's getting, or, you know, something might just be happening that you can't see, but it's, you know, happening. Right. Do you ever find that people have expressed, like, do you, how, how much do you work with, like, the, the patient like, like this like the person si like the yeah the participants yeah. like the the people side of things and the anecdotal like part of it I mean I realize that it has to be very scientific you have to do all the testing it's got to be that but do you ever listen to those stories and try and make connections between like yeah. yeah so a lot of our you know we'll have brainstorming sessions in my research lab with coming up with new studies that's where some of these anecdotal things come in where we're like oh we should look into this more yeah. to see if you know maybe that's a question worth pursuing 
um, from the patient side, we don't, we don't see that because, you know, obviously we, we're not clinicians. <laughs> and so, um, we'll work with a clinician who actually sees patients, but you know, if they're already coming in for a very specific reason, like for example, the, the C. diff folks that I mentioned, or, um, for, if they're coming in for like irritable bowel disease, you know, whatever GI symptoms, um, then we'll just, we'll end up collaborating with them and doing a project with them. But and I we suppose don't, it yeah. comes with all of like the, like what those people have told the clinician, you know, there are symptoms for certain things that you recognize with certain kinds of deficiencies or, you know, things like that. Right. Right. So there right. must be a relationship between. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and so a lot of that is what we're looking into is just to try to identify, you know, what is it that's changed in their microbiomes that perhaps could be causing it or, you know, it's, it's very hard to find causal links, but if not causal, then associated at least, um, just so we can, um, maybe find biomarkers for certain diseases. But as you know, you guys had mentioned, um, what causes these changes and imbalances with, so this term of imbalance is actually coined dysbiosis and, um, we call it like a microbial imbalance in your, in your gut. And that's essentially what we study in our research lab at the U. So um, we try to figure out what causes these dysbioses. How does the gut microbiome recover from that? How quickly um, does it recover? What governs that recovery? You know, mm-hmm. does it is it the state that it was before that, or is it completely something else that that governs that, and and the trajectory that it recovers on? Um, but yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I was going to ask you how connected is your gut to everything else like do these microbes work separately than like all your other systems I hear lots of people say and this is just like phrase everyone says but like I'm sick to my stomach or I'm sick like I feel it in my gut and things like that where there's this connection and feeling between it being in a compromising situation and the way you feel in your stomach and I don't know how much those things are connected or if they react to each other at all yeah so it's actually connected to everything. (laughs) Um, It's surprising, which is sort of why I love this field, because I get to work on anything that I'm interested in, because it's related to all kinds of diseases, um, all kinds of different, um, like, you know, whether you're overweight or you're lean, you know, that Mm -hmm. you'll see differences in your gut microbiome. There's this thing called the the gut brain access. So, you know, for example, satiety, when you're eating something and you get, you know, you're full, you know, there's signals that go back up to your brain. Um, There's been some studies, I think out of California that have shown that um, in autistic children, they see differences in the gut microbiome and even in um, neurological diseases like Parkinson's and whatnot. And so it's very interesting work. Yeah. Wow. And so when you're, when you're dealing with things like that, I mean, how much of your personal research goes into that, those connections between things, like some of the stuff you're doing more recently, um, can you describe like, like the paper that you are publishing, you know, are you, uh, currently working on a very specific facet of this, or do you, do you allow yourself to explore, you know, different things that are connected or, you know, like where does it, how do you, how do you stop yourself from going all (laughs) over the place? You know? Um, well, I guess it, each researcher has their own, you know, personal interests, Mm -hmm. depending on what, if they want to focus on something very small or broaden their scope. And for me, I, I'm really interested in sort of like environmental, um, factors that change the microbiome. So the paper I'd mentioned, um, it's, it has to do with antibiotics. So that's considered external. Um, you're putting that into your body and how that changes. And that's a very, actually a very difficult topic to study because, 
you're studying it in children who are still developing, so they're not yet stable. Um, gut microbiomes of humans, anyway, don't stabilize until they're about two or three years old. So you could imagine um, that first year or two of life, their you know their composition of the gut's rapidly changing. We're still trying to figure that out exactly how that's changing and what governs you know a healthy child and you know what a six month child should be looking like. Um, lots of different things also contribute to that. For example, if they're born via C-section or vaginal birth. Um, really? Yeah, very distinct differences in their gut microbiome. And you do see that some <laughs> children who are born via C-section are more susceptible to certain diseases too. Really? Yeah. And why? No uh, one knows? Yeah. Um, oh. Well, yeah, there's, there's, it's, all, it's all new. So yeah. um, at least for the vaginal birth, when you're... So the, so the mother actually, their their microbiome, their vaginal, they you have we all have microbiomes in our vagina as well. Yeah. So as the child is coming out, um, the vaginal microbiome changes to this very distinct composition, so that it could transfer those microbes to the baby, and you know the baby's coming out, so it's getting into their eyes, nose, mouth, everything. So eventually, it populates the GI tract of the baby. The baby is generally considered sterile before it comes out when it's still in the womb. Um, but when it comes, and then, you know, there's fecal matter and whatnot that gets um, yeah. inoculated too. Mm-hmm. So all of that actually forms, you know, the beginning, the basis of the baby's microbiome. Huh, Without that, yeah, if you're, in, you know, being born via C-section, you're being cut open and you're um, pulled out. So they actually find that the baby looks, the baby's gut microbiome looks a lot more like um, the environment and like the doctor's skin microbiomes. And so, you know, not very so much like the mother's is, vagina. Is there a connection then? And maybe, I, maybe because it changes so much in the first stages, it doesn't matter, but is there a direct connection between like a mother's and a child's microorganisms? Okay. Yeah. So definitely. it's all, it's, yeah. it would be like a similar version of genetics where you're like, you have this and now you have this too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, okay. It's kind so of similar in that here's way. a really weird question then. <laughs> I have a lot of pets. So how many microbes <laughs> am I collecting from all my yeah, pets that's, now? That's a really interesting point you bring up. So there was actually a study um, by my, well, my advisor um, previously, he, in his previous lab, when he was a PhD student, um, he helped with this. Um, essentially, they found, they, they, they were just sampling people, families, you know, couples, couples with kids, couples with pets. And they found that um, couples who have a dog share um their microbiome more because i think the dog is acting like a little transfer with each other with each other oh not with the dog no no no. well with the dog (laughs) too but then well the the couple shares their microbiome with each other more so than a couple that doesn't have a dog does that make sense yeah because the dog is is acting like a transfer oh okay is it through like their mouth or like yeah okay yeah like they're licking and so yeah because you're always touching them and whatnot and so that's super interesting but yeah with the pets I think you just happen to pick it up because you're (laughs) you're in that environment and you're cleaning the litter box or you're petting your dog or you're doing whatever and it's just part of your environment so therefore you just you're just like all connected (laughs) through your (laughs) it's not necessarily a bad thing yeah it's just really curious I so is there any relationship then between um and she might hate me for, um, not you, my mom, she might hate me for mentioning this because she listens to podcasts too, but um, she's very considerate of touching doorknobs, not touching doorknobs, washing her hands a lot, cleaning everything up. Everything is 100% clean all the time. Is there any relationship between 
that kind of super clean environment. And like, didn't they, didn't they just outlaw antibacterial soap? Is that yeah, real? In, in Minnesota. Yeah. Did they yeah. really? Mm-hmm. Wow. And so, and is that, the, is that the reason is because it's kind of like depleting you from some of these things that your, your immune system, um, is less likely to adapt to stuff you're touching and yeah. dirt and things and microbes and whatever else, you know? Or- right. Yeah. So this alludes back to that hygiene hypothesis that I had mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. you, you want to be surrounded by, you know, these healthy microbes that are just part of the environment. And, you know, if you're being too clean, you're not exposing yourself to any of that. And, you know, the problem with the antibiotic soap, that's a whole different story, but yeah. you know, you may be promoting antibiotic resistance, um, when you're doing, when you're using that. And that's the problem again with the, overuse of antibiotics so it's really hard because you know i mentioned that the tv show i was watching yesterday and they were saying oh yeah the cause of all these diseases is the fact that you know people used to throw their chamber pots out the window and then you'd step in it and then there'd be all this stuff i mean this is like the 1400s and then the plague happened yeah you know like all these things but then at the same time we're also saying if you keep everything so sterile that you never are exposed to any of this stuff you're also in trouble like yeah yeah so it's such a hard it is you know? Yeah. It's, it's a, there's definitely a balance, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, antibiotics have done amazing things for, you know, public health. Um, so there's a really good book I'm going to mention right now. Um, it's called Missing Microbes by Marty Blazer, Martin Blazer. And it actually is really well written. He's a professor and a clinician at NYU. And he basically goes back and talks about a lot of these, um, hallmark studies that I've, I've kind of mentioned scientific studies and kind of condenses it down into in the book but he talks a lot about um essentially you know what's happening um when you're comparing these different populations you know if the western gut is is uh less diverse the use of antibiotics how that's depleting things um you know just birth in general and how that gets populated how children get populated and so um i that's a really good recommendation that's that awesome and because yeah. i was curious about that we looked into a couple weeks ago we were talking about taking a trip to um and this is before the earthquake, of course, you know, we were talking about going on a trek to Nepal mm-hmm. and they recommend you have iodine tablets to sterilize your water. There's like certain things that you are recommended to go see the doctor before you go. How much of that travel sickness that people get is related to like the water or the food or the things you're exposed to over there? Is that the same thing that we're talking about? Like you are in an environment, you are not really sure what you're going to ingest and it's a lot all at once or something, or is that not how that works? Yeah. And so, you know, we hypothesize that that has to do with the fact that we're not, you know, used to the microbes in that environment. And Mm -hmm. so it creates this dysbiosis, this imbalance in our own. And perhaps that's what's leading to, um, some of this, you know, traveler's diary and whatnot. There's actually a paper that just came out that looked at, um, well, actually, they, I'm sorry, they looked at um, the jet lag microbiome. So they looked at what happens when, you know, you're, you're going like for a 12 hour ride and, and you're imbalanced because of that. But there is one because of that. I know everybody feels yeah. gross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. Uh. But, um, you know, that's partially what uh, is driving my next study that I'm trying really? to set up. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm really being of, um, you know, a minority ethnic group myself, I'm super interested in immigrant groups that have moved to the U.S. and being here in Minnesota, you know, we have a lot of refugee groups, um, huge communities that 
are bigger here than in any other state in the U.S. For example, the Somali, um, the Hmong, and Iraqi, Karen from Myanmar. And so um, I'm trying to set up a study very soon here where we'll be looking at uh, what happens to their gut microbiomes as they move here, how it changes according to how they adapt to the Western diet, whether or not we can reverse some of those effects, um, you know, with fiber and... Um, whether we could just identify whether there is even a difference, you know, perhaps they're not so different from us, but you know, we're hypothesizing that they're going to be very different yeah, when they first start. That's so interesting. It's, it's funny. I mean, you, you feel certain things when you travel, you know that the stuff exists, you sometimes pay attention to it as just a regular person just existing. But I know that, um, every now and again, there'll be something that shows up in the news feed, or there'll be, you know, a documentary somewhere and you'll be like, Oh Yeah that and you'll kind of like remember how connected every single piece of like your functions are and you're yeah. like oh I should think about that for a second I think we we spend a lot of time thinking about our mental states you know how we're feeling like if we're feeling bad we don't really totally not all of us don't dismantle where exactly is that coming from and yeah. you know that stuff that you were talking about how how connected it is with other pieces of like your anatomy that mm -hmm. you wouldn't normally really consider I think is really interesting yeah I was going to ask you on like more of a personal side of things since you've been studying all these things do you have are you like should I clean this table should I not clean this table <laughs> should I eat this thing should I not yeah um, are you constantly reminded and like aware of all the yeah how do you things around balance you? that that would be interesting yeah. you just like three days a week I will clean this room right <laughs> yeah. right um yeah it's my <laughs> philosophy of cleaning has changed a lot based on what I've learned. Um, so actually prior to coming here, I was at Cornell doing my master's in food microbiology, which is actually more so food safety. So that was actually the infectious pathogens that I was working on. So when I was in that lab, um, I wasn't as aware of, you know, the microbiome and uh, what role that played. And so I was a little bit more um, you know, probably more so on the side of cleaning things more because mm -hmm. I was afraid that, you know, there are more pathogens in the environment because I, I sort of knew that there were more, a lot of pathogens. But then now being in this field, I've kind of taken the opposite, <laughs> you know, um, I guess, approach. And I probably don't clean as much. Like when I drop things, I'll pick You're it like up. you like the five-second rule? Yeah, I'll eat it. Okay. It's okay, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Makes me stronger. Um, and so I'm not as, yeah, I'm not as like, you know, anal about that stuff. But I think that's that's sort of this huge paradigm shift that we have to that has to happen, you know, mm -hmm. because a lot of us, you know, when we were younger, grew up thinking that microbes are bad, they're germs, you know, yeah, and right. they're not. Well, now if if our society like embraced more of a like let it all in sort of philosophy, would we have big problems because we've cut it off for such a long time? Um, I, I don't think so. Um, I think it's just because of the fact that um you know, there are other populations in other parts of the world that are, you know, they're not completely different. Like, for example, in China, right? For example, there there's still parts of China that are very rural. There's probably still very diverse in the gut microbiome, but there's a big change happening there. And so they're changing in, the, I guess, the negative way. But I can't imagine it being bad if they were to kind of change back. Um, I just think it would be really hard to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have yeah. one more 
big question. Now that we're hyper aware and people have access to these studies sometimes or they see, you know, the media pick up some big story and everybody goes on a weird diet and like something happens. Um, I've, maybe it's just because we hear about it more. Everybody going through these like, I'm going to do this one now and I'm going to do this one now. It's kind of yeah, what you're like asking the whole before. Yeah, cleanse or whatever. Yeah, like, is it bad that there's all these DIY versions of figuring out your own stuff? Like everybody's got this like idea that they're going to do themselves a favor and you're, you know, you're resetting your own stuff. Cause you're like, this is the thing. And I read it on some weird blog somewhere. Like, yeah. Yeah. Know. Um, and that's, you know, that's the thing with the gut microbiome is that they'll go on these diets and they could have a gut microbiome that just doesn't respond well to that diet. You know, like unlike somebody else who had major success. Yeah. Um, some obese people have gut microbiomes that are just, predisposing them to be obesity. They could be working out, eating well and everything. Um, and perhaps it's not even their genetics either. It's just their gut microbiome. I read a, so, uh, an article about that just like like 15 minutes before the podcast <laughs> <laughs> where they were saying that a, a woman had a, um, and I forget the, the term you're using, but the depleted... Um, what's what's it called? A again? gut microbiome? Yeah, or, like okay. it's just it was just depleted. Yeah, and yeah. so her daughter had the fecal transplant given to her and then all of a sudden she gained a lot of weight. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. And then and then I of course like read a piece of it and I was like, what? How does that happen? And then yeah. you started to talk about how it's just sometimes it's just a different factor that yeah. just leads everything else to do something else. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm actually familiar with that study because I read that like a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um that one I'm not sure if it's done hundred percent perfectly just because I think um, they were both like the, I think they were both overweight at some point or the daughter was getting overweight too or something like that. So I'm not sure if it's if real it was, well, it's not that it's real, but oh. I would, I would draw fewer conclusions from it unless it was like a larger sample size. That's but yeah. And I was just like, Oh, I didn't know if that even, I didn't even know that was even a possibility that that different like, yeah, so that's definitely a possibility. Um, they've seen that in mice. Like, they'll take um, obese gut microbiomes from humans, transplant that into mice, like germ-free mice that don't have any microbes at all. Though there's, like, a special way of growing them and they don't have any oh, microbes. Wow. Yeah. Um, and essentially, they get fat just from huh. the microbiome. So And vice versa. Um, if you take, like, a, a fat mouse and transplant a lean microbiome, they'll get skinnier. So That's so crazy. Yeah, that's super weird. Yeah, it also <laughs> makes it feel like people have no control over no what's control. happening with their body. They're just like whatever growing and shrinking. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah, yeah it, it is a little scary, but I mean, you can. It's not your gut microbiome isn't that plastic. Um, mm -hmm. You can change it a lot with diet, of course, and we're still trying to figure out how big the effects of all these other factors are. Mm -hmm. um, but you can try to promote. Um, the growth of some what we call good bacteria. Um, it's we're still trying to figure that out too. But you know, just eat more fiber. They love fiber, dietary fiber. And um, but I'm not saying that you know everyone should be doing that. I'm just saying that from the studies that I've read, you know, that seems to promote uh, better health. And so that's I, really yeah. interesting. I think that those are the kinds of things that people I think search for. They're like, I want to be really healthy. I want the list of things I need to do mm -hmm. to do this, and then. Mm -hmm. That's, that's like part of that question that I was asking was just like, how does a person even know if they're doing it right? Do, do people, do people even, should they even pay attention? Should they mess around with it? They, maybe they shouldn't, maybe they should. I don't know. You know, like it's, yeah. it's, um, oftentimes you see a lot of people that are very health conscious trying to do their own 
like yeah. adapting to, <laughs> you know, certain things. It's just hard to know. Right. It seems and like everything is good and everything is bad. Yeah I, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, and the problem is that there's just, you know, we're, we're all just very different as humans. Um, going back to the gut microbiome, there's a lot of differences between, like, just say the three of us. You know, so it's hard to, that's why it's so hard to define that good, what's the definition of a good, healthy gut microbiome is because yeah. there's so much difference between individuals that we can't really say, even healthy individuals, you know? Yeah. And so um, I think it really has to kind of move towards this, um, what they call personalized or individualized medicine, where, you know, they are taking kind of a snapshot of you, just yourself, and then maybe doing an analysis to see what's best for you. That's but. really Smart. I think that's a good idea. <laughs> well, I'm excited for your next paper and the one that's just coming out, right? Thanks. All yeah. the research, all yeah. things. So if people wanted to follow up with you and to, to read your paper, is it accessible for just anybody to kind of see? Yeah, it yeah. Um, so actually, I will provide this, but um, you could go to my research lab, which is www.nightslab.org. That's K-N-I-G-H-T-S-L-A-B.org. And that's um, just our research lab at the U. You could read about a lot of the stuff we're doing. It's really exciting. We think there's a Twitter feed on there too. Um, and then I could provide links to the papers that's coming out. It's not out yet, but it'll be out this coming Wednesday. So, um, yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I appreciate all of the time that you've taken in fielding <laughs> all pleasure. of our interesting questions. Yeah. It's been really interesting. Yeah, I really love fun. topics like this. It's, you know, you get a tiny taste of it being a person consuming <laughs> media or things, you know, but it's really cool to talk to somebody who's in a different field that just is fully aware of all the different things that, that happen. It's really very cool. So. Thank you so much for having me. This yeah. is really fun, actually. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We'll make sure that all of your links, um, and as soon as your paper is out, um, we'll make sure to post that on the blog as well f- so people can find it. And then anything else, Jenny? No. Okay. That's it. <laughs> um, I think that's actually this coming Thursday. I forgot to mention this earlier. This coming Thursday, we have our light gray game night again from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. So if you guys want to come play some really intense board games with Chris, you should definitely stop by. Definitely yes. intense and yes. definitely with Chris. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So if you guys want to follow or see anything that we're doing, you can see all the artwork from the Guts exhibition. You can see Tegan's workshop and all sorts of really fun projects on our shop, which is shop.lightgrayartlab.com. You can also see uh, the exhibitions and all the documented work on the website, which is lightgrayartlab.com. You can say hi to us on Twitter, at lightgrayartlab. You can find us on Tumblr, which is lightgrayartgallery.tumblr.com. Send Lindsay a note at hello at lightgrayoutlab.com. And that is all. <laughs> yes. And you can listen to us on Stitcher Radio or subscribe yes. via iTunes. So thanks again, you guys, for listening to our conversation today. And thanks so much, PJ, for being our special guest. sound okay <laughs> do should we Beats check me. maybe i should this wear this hat, okay. this is not a hat. <laughs> <laughs> i can't i can't hear anything so i don't know what oh, chris listens is to. the headphones plugged in no plugged in? <laughs> uh mm. is this on mm. yes
it's making it's making noise blips so i don't know what i'm supposed to okay. be hearing so okay. um everybody say something just so i can see if the noise happens hello you're good your voice is showing up it looks like a blue blob it looks like <laughs> <Sounds> <laughs> good. Okay. okay and then jenny say some stuff does this sound all right yours is a small blue, blue oh no it's so small 